All right, all right. So um, tonight we're going to start a new sermon series. Um, so yeah, um, so Jesus is, is probably one of the most well-known uh, people in all of history. And uh, with that, Jesus is also one of the most misunderstood and misrepresented people in all of history. And I think sometimes the reason that people uh, misunderstand or even misrepresent Jesus is they actually haven't taken the time um, to hear what he actually had to say or to learn about his life. And so we're going to go the next seven weeks and we're going to look at seven uh, key statements that are made by Jesus in John's gospel. Um, We're going to look at the I am statements uh, of Jesus in John's gospel. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you some background on the book of John. Uh, just because I think it's helpful for you to understand where we're going over the next few weeks. Uh, And then, after I do the introduction, we'll get into tonight's sermon. So, some things that you need to know, right? Mari mentioned reading Scripture in in context. It really helps if we understand what's going on before we start reading. But, some things we need to know about John. One, John is a Jewish guy, right? Who is raised by Jewish parents in a Jewish part of the world. And part of His worldview, part of his national identity, is that he belonged to the Jewish nation, the people that God had rescued out of Egypt. And through what we see in John's gospel, John is going to reflect back and draw back on the images from the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. And he's going to bring a lot of these ideas forward, uh, and he's going to relate that to how we understand who Jesus is. In fact, if you're familiar Right with, with the story of the Exodus, you know that it begins in Exodus 6. Uh, Moses has this like encounter with a bush. He encounters God in a burning bush. And one of the questions Moses asked is, so God, when I go to tell these people that you've sent me to set them free from slavery and oppression, um, who should I say sent me? And, and the answer that God gives is, tell them that I am has sent you. And so uh, even in that statement, we see John drawing on this idea of I am with these seven I am statements of Jesus in his gospel. And so uh, John's, John's intentions are very clear in his gospel. It is to convince us that Jesus is God in the flesh, that Jesus is the anointed one who's come to set us free. And so we're going to look at these I am statements, and we're going we're gonna to just ask the question, who does Jesus tell us that he is? And in light of who Jesus has revealed himself to be, what type of people ought we to be? So that's where we're going to go. You guys okay for that? If you're not, just don't show up next week. I'm just kidding. Um, okay, if you're already here, too late. Um, so, so anyways, tonight, tonight we're going to talk about the first I am statement. Um, but before we do, normally I would tell a story at this point, but I don't, I don't have a good story. And uh, I'm sorry if you're disappointed that I don't have a good story. But I do have a confession. Confession. Actually, well, it's kind of more like a complaint. <sighs> okay, I don't know. You can judge for yourself if it's a confession or complaint. Okay, here's this thing, right? This is, it's on me, it's not on you, it's nobody else's fault, but like this is where I'm at, right? I, I really just don't have patience for superficial things, right? And it's not that I want to be rude or that I don't care about what you care about. But like, for instance, like, I just don't really care for small talk. Like, I just don't really enjoy sitting around talking about nothing. Like, I want to talk about things that really matter, and I want to have, like, real conversations with the people. And I, I just, in general, I think, There's just a lot of things in our world that, to me, feel very, very meaningless and superficial, and it drives me crazy, right? And and I know the things that I think, like, won't relate to you, but, like, 
I think it's crazy that people are spending like 50 and 60 grand on these big pickup trucks that like they're never going to get dirty in their life. And I'm like, that's just like a really expensive status symbol. And like, you're not actually going to do anything with that. You're just trying to prove a point to someone. And it just doesn't make sense to me because that's like, that's doesn't serve a purpose. Like, why would you do that? Now, I know like the really low hanging fruit, like if I want to like vent about the superficiality in our, our world, I could probably talk about social media, but I feel like that's too easy because like, it just is what it is, and people are not what they seem to be. And so there are other things that, like, bother me. I think, I think for me, like, and maybe this is just because I'm a really blunt, honest person. Like, I would rather people just be real. I would rather spend time around people who don't have it all together, who are rough around the edges, but their heart's in the right place, and they're humble, and they want to honor God with their lifestyle— rather than being around people that were like shiny, plastic, but hollow on the inside. And I think so much of the way that that our lives have been structured has been based so much on what is easy, what is convenient, what is enjoyable, and what looks good on the outside. And it drives me crazy. Like, you know, like I don't like have to wear a suit anywhere. I don't like to have to go to places that I have to dress up for. Like, I just, I don't like that it's a thing that we have to try to impress other people by doing things that are just impressive for impressive sake. And and I think, I think this is kind of like a struggle I have, but I, I think this is part of what Jesus is dealing with in the people that he's addressing. We're going to be in John chapter six tonight. And I think some of this superficiality, this desire for a quick fix. Like nobody, nobody wants to fix it the right way. People just want it to like look like it's okay on the outside rather than really dealing with problems. And, and so all of these things are problems for me. Maybe they're problems for you. I don't know. Maybe you like when people are fake and superficial. Listen, my, my last pet peeve, right? I don't know why people can't be honest anymore. Like people just lie to you. Like, it's, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna do the thing for sure. You can count on me. And I was like, you're lying. I just, I just don't understand. Like, just tell me you hate me and don't want to be my friend and don't stand me up, you know? Anyways, rant over, rant over. So listen, we're going to be in John chapter 6. Uh, I have good news. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to paraphrase some of it for you. Um, but we'll look at a couple of big chunks here. Uh, in a minute, I'll start reading in verse 26, if you want to find that in your Bible. John 6, 26 is where we'll start. So more background, right? So Jesus is fixing to make the first of the seven I am statements, these this thematic thing that John is recording uh, in his gospel, and Jesus has just finished his third miracle. It's a very popular miracle that maybe you know about. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people, right? And so maybe, maybe most of you know the story that, that Jesus is, is preaching, and people don't have any food, and his disciples are like, what should we do? And anyway, so Jesus, he multiplies uh, the bread and the fish, and he feeds 5,000 people, and everybody's like, wow, you know, this is amazing. Look what happened, right? So that happened yesterday in our story. And today, Jesus ha- and his disciples have kind of like escaped from the crowds. But the crowds have come looking for Jesus. And the crowds have found Jesus. And what we're about to read is Jesus' interaction with this crowd of people who are looking for him after he fed them the day before. So in John chapter 6, starting in verse 26, it says, Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the sign I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. 
Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they ask him, What must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they ask him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? Now this is ironic because he literally just fed 5,000 people from a little boy's lunch. I'm like, you got any miracles you can do to prove? So anyways, they ask him again, what sign will you give? Verse 31, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is the Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I love the fact that Jesus immediately calls out their hypocrisy. Because these people are coming after him, and they're like, Yay, Jesus, we finally found you. And Jesus says, Listen, I know why you're here. I know you're not here because of the miraculous thing you saw. I know that you're here because your stomachs are empty and you're hungry and you just want something from me. It's, it's kind of crazy to think that God has entered the world in the form of Jesus to save man from all of its brokenness and all of the disaster that had overcome humanity. And all they wanted from Jesus was another meal. Like that was all that they could see was what they wanted in that very moment. And everything that he had preached about the day before, right before he fed them, had gone in one ear and out the other, and they're just looking for their next meal. Now listen, these people had a, a not-so-great life, right? So these people, these are Jewish people who now for the third time have been conquered, right? God has delivered them from Egypt. God has delivered them from captivity in Babylon. God has delivered his people from, from the hand of oppression, from the hand of conquerors. And now again, they found themselves under Roman rule. They've been scattered. Um, their, their culture is being eroded uh, year by year, and the Romans are slowly kind of trying to wash away their cultural heritage. Life is not great for them, right? But what does Rome do? Rome gives them bread and a circus and tries to entertain them and keep the revolts from rising up. But, but really, these people are dissatisfied with most of their life. They're dissatisfied with most things that are going on. Jesus says that he sees them as helpless and harassed, like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus is coming to these people whose lives are not great. But all they can think about is, I'm really hungry right now. Can you give me some more of that food that you gave me yesterday? And, and I, think, I think the problem is they're looking for something superficial. Jesus says you shouldn't, you shouldn't come after food that's going to perish, but you should look for food that doesn't perish. You should think about those things that actually matter in the long run, not the things that are just going to matter in the short run. And so Jesus is trying to explain this to them, 
And it's, it's kind of funny because there's this moment where they're, they're eager. They're, yeah, yeah, give us this bread always. We, we always want you to give us this bread. And they seem as if they're like, yes, we want the thing that you're giving us, Jesus. And so they ask, they ask, they say, okay, what do we need to do? How do we do the works that God wants us to do to get the thing that you're saying we should get? So Jesus gives this answer uh, in verse 28. Uh, it says, they ask him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now, there's some language in what Jesus is saying here. When, when it says that he was the, the one whom God approves, the, the anointed one that God has sent, this idea that, that you have to believe in the Messiah that has been sent. And so, something that I think we struggle with, okay? We live in a post-Reformation world, right? We live after the Protestant Reformation. And so we think about things in light of these ideas. And I think a lot of our ideas, when we hear these words, they don't mean to us what they would have meant to this audience. I, I think the, the word believe is a little bit problematic in English because what most of us think about when we hear the word believe is we think about the concept of mental assent, that we could mentally acknowledge something to be true. But the reality is that that's really just a superficial understanding because most of you don't actually know what you believe about anything. We will find out what you really believe when we observe your behavior. And what, what this word that is being used here, it really means a deep sense of conviction. This idea of even maybe trust is a better word. That if you trust in the one that he has sent. Because what we will see in Jesus' teachings is Jesus basically says, I want you to have so much conviction that I am who I say that I am that even death would not dissuade you from living out your convictions. And I think because we live in such a superficial society that wants to be able to say yes to everything, we don't really think about what it really means to say yes to Jesus as the bread of life. This, we, we think of even the idea of believing as a, an easy, superficial type of concept. And what Jesus is really calling these people to is deep conviction. And we'll see here in a minute, because if all they had to do is mentally ascend to the idea, then they probably wouldn't have responded the way that we're fixing to see them respond. So we're going to skip down to verse 48. So in John chapter 6, I'm going to read in verse 48. Jesus says again, he repeats himself, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world." 
This is important. Jesus says, This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews begin to argue sharply against themselves, among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat my flesh, eat the flesh of the Son of God, Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in him, and I in them. Now, I know that this phrase, this wording, this whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, I know that that's shocking to us to hear. And the reality is, it was actually more shocking for the Jewish audience, because not only was this weird and disgusting to think about, it was also against kosher dietary laws, right? Because all of the kosher dietary laws means you can't consume blood in any form. And so what's being said here is kind of shocking. Now, we, we understand now that John is, is speaking about the Eucharist, the Holy Communion, um, that we would later as believers partake of. And it doesn't change, though, what is being meant here. In fact, even though we look back and we see the Holy Communion, we see Eucharist uh, in this, that had not yet been instituted. There was not yet uh, a new covenant meal that was instituted. So these people who are listening to Jesus, we have to ask, what would have been in their mind? And something that I think is helpful, there's a story where this same phrase, drinking blood, is used in the Old Testament. And it's a story about King David. King David... Uh, his hometown of Bethlehem was, had been captured by the Philistines. And David is really thirsty, and he makes this comment to some soldiers that he's thirsty and that he wishes he could drink from the well in his hometown in Bethlehem. And so these three heroic soldiers risk their life. They break through enemy lines, and they go, and they dip water out of the well in Bethlehem, and they fight their way back out, and they present this water to King David and what does David do? He throws it down and he refuses to drink it. And that seems odd, but, but David's argument is this. He says, I can't drink this water because you risk your life to get it for me, and I can't have your blood on me. For me to drink this water would be like drinking your blood because I can't benefit from your demise. Because... Your people I like. Your people I trust. And what is so hard for these people to understand here is this idea that, that Jesus is asking them to benefit from his demise. Think about how uncomfortable this would be. If I were to tell you tonight, I have something great that I can offer you, and you can have it as soon as I die. And you were the reason that I'm going to have to die so that you can have this thing. This is why this seemed so upsetting. It didn't seem logical. It didn't make sense to these people. And they began to complain and argue amongst themselves because Jesus is telling them that he is the bread of life and that he has to give his life to be the spiritual food that can give them eternal life. This seems like a very simple presentation of the gospel. This idea that, that the word of God became flesh and it dwelt among us. 
and that, that we did not have what we needed to be sustained spiritually, but Jesus gave his life so that we could be sustained spiritually if we would simply partake in what he offers us. But in John chapter 6, verse 60, we see the people's response. It says, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware of this, his disciples were grumbling about this. And Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, and the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. See, the reality is, there is this idea of what it means to believe in the one whom God has sent. There is this oversimplification of what it means for Jesus to be the bread of life to us. That we just simply have to have this mental assent to be able to acknowledge or confess that, yes, Jesus is the bread of life. But when we really look at what's going on here, that's, that's not how this group of people are reacting. They're having a very, very visceral reaction to the proposition that they would need to believe that Jesus' death held the key to their future. And rather than wrestle with the gravity of what Jesus is talking about, their solution is this. Hey, you got any more food we can eat? That was really good food. We're hungry. They're focusing on the superficial things. And I think sometimes we do the same thing because really to wrestle with the depth and the meaning behind what Jesus is wanting to do for us and what that means for us, and the level of conviction we ought to live with, if that is true, we choose superficiality. We, true, we choose easy believism. We choose to repeat a prayer that someone else told us to. We, we choose to be shiny, plastic, hollow Christians who do the bare minimum, the things we're supposed to do, because on the outside it makes us look good. But on the inside, we have not really accepted the sacrifice of Jesus to really change us. Because it's easy to fix the immediate need and not address the greater problem. These people wanted an immediate fix for their immediately felt needs. And for that, they were willing to shun the redemption of the entire world. That Jesus had come with such a greater plan of what he wanted to do. But they couldn't move past what they wanted from Jesus at that moment. And because Jesus didn't grant their wish, because he wasn't their genie in the bottle to give them exactly what they wanted on demand at that moment, they refused to wrestle with the depth of the gospel and what Jesus was really offering for them. I think sometimes we come to Jesus only so that he can fix the things that, if we're honest, are really superficial in our life. It doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't care about the superficial things in our life. I think Jesus cares about our pain. He cares about our frustration and our struggles. He cares about the things that we care about. 
But the gospel is bigger than whether or not I make the grade that I want on the test I have next week. The gospel is bigger than whether or not I get my way in some simple things. The gospel is bigger than my most immediate and superficial needs. And I think sometimes we have reduced the gospel to Jesus giving us what we want when we want it. And we haven't been willing to say, God, is there something more eternal? Is there something more meaningful that you want to do? Because sometimes I think we, we reject what God wants to do in the big picture in our life because we're unhappy with how the little things are working out for us right now. And these people who've come to Jesus in this story, their, their shallowness, their, their short-sightedness is causing them to be offended and to walk away. And I think so many of us, we listen to the teachings of Jesus. And when he says, okay, now live them out with conviction, we're offended because it's hard. Who are you to tell me how I ought to live my life, Jesus? I just want you to make me feel better. And we cheapen the gospel. We fail to realize that Jesus is the only source of life. And that ultimately we have two choices. We can eat and partake of the bread of life and be part of the new creation that Jesus is making. Or we can reject it because it's not the flavor we wanted, because it's not when we wanted it and how we wanted it. You see, the difficulty with this whole idea of Jesus being the bread, we, we think back to what it was like for Israel in the wilderness. They're wondering. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what's happening. They spend 40 years out there. And, and the way it works is every day the bread, the manna, would fall down. I don't really, we don't know what it was like. It was probably more like coriander or some sort of flour they made bread from. But this manna, which means what is it, would fall down. And they were only allowed to gather for that day, and if they gathered more than they were supposed to, then it would spoil. Only the day before the Sabbath could they gather two days' worth. And it is this idea, this imagery, that the Jewish people were expecting that Messiah would come and that manna from heaven would be restored in the new kingdom. And that's why they're having this conversation about bread and, and manna and Moses with Jesus, because they're, they're thinking in their mind, the Messiah, the anointed one who's come to right all the wrongs in the world, he's going to restore the manna that fell down from heaven. But the reality of manna is this, is it still requires us to have total trust and total faith in Jesus. Because if Jesus is the bread of life, then I don't have to fend for myself. If Jesus is the bread of life, I have to trust that his fix is the right fix and the right way. And that is what's so hard about this story. That's what's so hard about this idea that Jesus is the bread of life. And if Jesus is the bread of life, then nothing else will satisfy your soul. No amount of superficial, mind-numbing, scrolling on your electronic device will satisfy the emptiness in your soul. No amount of looking good in front of other people will satisfy the emptiness in your soul. No amount of accomplishments 
or proving yourself to people will satisfy the emptiness in your soul. Only Jesus satisfies. And I think for a lot of us, that feels risky. That feels like a hard teaching for us to follow. And it feels a little bit strange when Jesus says, eat my flesh, because I am the bread of life that satisfies your soul. And so tonight, um, we're going to play some music, and we're going to have a time of reflection and prayer as we wrap up. And so this is, this is what I would invite you to tonight. I want to ask the question, why do you even care about Jesus? Why do you believe in Jesus? Is it, is it because of some immediate superficial need that you want him to fill? Or, or is there an acknowledgement that you actually need his death to make your life right? And are you willing to pursue letting Jesus fulfill those things that are wrong in your life? Or, the other question I want you to ask, or I want you to ask the question is, are there other more superficial things that I'm substituting in place of the bread of life? Are there other things that I'm trying to use to satisfy my life, more superficial things, that I need to really just give up those things and pursue Jesus? So if you guys will stand with me, we're going to have just a few minutes of prayer. Uh, you can pray where you're at. You can just... Talk to God where you're at. If you, if you feel the need to come down and, and kneel and pray, you can do that. If you want someone to pray with you, how, however you want to respond is fine with me. But I, I want us just to take a few minutes, and I want us to sit with this. To really ask, are we willing to do the work that God requires to trust in the one whom he sent? Lord Jesus, tonight, would you speak to our hearts? Lord, would you transform us? Would you give us faith to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Troy Chi Alpha podcast. For more information about the ministry of Troy Chi Alpha, you can look us up online at troychialpha.com. You can email us at troychialpha at gmail.com or find us on social media at Troy Chi Alpha. Thanks for listening.